All right, join me in Mark chapter 4. I'm jumping back in to the parables, and uh, some of you will remember Jeremiah Dennis. Jeremiah was my wingman at my Bible study at TMU, which I taught in my backyard from 2015 to 2018. And uh, Jeremiah became a close friend because of that season. For the last eight years, we have been connected. He worked here at Grace Church in membership and did some of the, some of you might have met him in that way. But anyway, Jeremiah was married Friday night in Arizona at the age of 36. And uh, I say that to your encouragement. Some of you are wondering if God might provide later. And Jeremiah and Harry went through several cycles of what if, could she be? And got a lot of no, she isn't. And um, But I can tell you, because I was there and I officiated, he is married and uh, I'm excited, um, and uh, he's at Redeemer Church in Gilbert, just outside of Phoenix. So that's where I was Friday night, flew in yesterday so that I could be with you. But I thought some of you would be excited for him, and uh, they're honeymooning this week in Cancun. All right, Mark chapter 4. Jesus is being followed by the crowds, big crowds. And in order to help his disciples understand the nature of the crowd, actually the responses that were going to unfold as a consequence of his unrivaled person and his awesome acts, his words, his work, the reality of who he was that was attracting such attention, both the authority of the words and then the capacity of his work. People were being healed. Demons were being uh, sent away. Lepers were being healed. Uh, He was just undeniably unique. And people were coming, and they were interested. And Jesus teaches these parables in Mark chapter 4 to highlight the character and quality of his kingdom. And the very first one, the parable of the soils, we started on some weeks back, and asking the question of, are you a Christian? The parable of the soils is meant to communicate that there are many who hear and say, but they don't possess kingdom reality, kingdom life. Three kinds of soils that do not possess life, but potentially profess it. The hard soil, the shallow soil, the choked and competing with other things, soil, soils representing the heart style. The gospel doesn't change, but the quality of the soil defines the fruitfulness and the reality potential of the gospel and the truth in a person's heart. You don't modify the truth because the truth is the same. The seed is the same. It's the soil that defines whether a person will be saved. And if it's competing with the pleasures of the world and the lust of the flesh, it can be choked off. If it's uh, emotional, it's not deeply rooted, it's shallow, persecution comes, affliction comes, and they abandon the faith. But there's this fourth soil, and that's what you find in Mark's Gospel, chapter 20, the good soil, chapter 4, rather, verse 20. And the good soil, that's the one's on whom seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word, and they accept it. They welcome it. 
they receive it with joy and the validating evidence that they are receiving. They all hear. Two of the other soils receive it at some level, shallow or choked. But this one welcomes it deeply and holds holds fast to it by faith. And this one, as a validating evidence, according to verse 20, these are the ones who bear fruit. Consistent pattern of their life, they bear fruit, exponential, 30, 60, and 100-fold, therefore undeniable. True salvation, and I ask you to take an honest look at your heart, Are you saved? Do you possess the life of God? Because part of what Jesus is saying, I've got lots of followers, but they are not all disciples. And a disciple is a Christian. All Christians are disciples. All disciples are Christians. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. That's what a disciple does. So it's not conversion, It is pursuing and following Christ, and the product of that is you'll bear fruit. Verse 21 through verse 25, we examined last time I taught. The first parable has to do with, are you a Christian, a disciple? Do you bear fruit? 21 through 25 is how to bear fruit. 21 through 25 has the focus on the Word of God. And he was saying to them, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, lamp now being put for the truth, which was uh, illustrated by seed. The lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it, or under a bed? It is not brought to be put, is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. Key verse, verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. How do you grow? How do you bear fruit exponentially and undeniably? By putting the truth in a prominent place, in an easily seen place like a lamp, and you have ears to hear it. You have a heart to apply it. It's intentional listening. It's sincere, authentic receiving. It's not just religious activity. It's sincerely seeking the truth of God and putting it in your life in a prominent place, in a place where you see it often, because the goal of God is not to hide revelation, but to reveal it to you which is what verse 22 is. There's nothing hidden. Nothing hidden except to be revealed. To whom? The truth seeker. The one who puts the Bible, the sanctifying tool, the instrument that produces fruit is the Word of God. And the Word of God regularly interfaced with you in your life will produce capacity to know truth. The goal of God is revelation to you, and the goal of God, listen to me, is revelation through you, so that the people who don't know God can understand things about God, because you know God and God's Word, you live it in a way that displays it so they can understand it. The key to growing and producing fruit exponentially 
has to do with the priority and prominence of the Word of God in your life. It illuminates everybody in the house. It illuminates the whole house, so every aspect of your life. And anybody who comes into your life is affected by the illuminating truth that you're receiving and dispensing by what you say and by what you display. I'm doing a marriage ceremony yesterday. It's common for those who officiate in a wedding to communicate that this wedding, this union, this husband and wife marriage is a picture of the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. And the degree to which this man and this woman live the kind of marriage that the Bible prescribes and they desire, they will communicate the greatest message of love ever to be seen or known because the marriage is a picture that communicates the truth. You know what else does? Your life as you apply the word of God in your life. If you do it, seek it, and live it, guess what? If you have ears to hear, you'll get more of it. Notice what it says in verse 24, and he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. That has to do with the purity of the truth, the quality of the truth, not just devotional books about the Bible, but the Bible, the pure truth of God's word. Don't substitute somebody else's thoughts about the Bible for God's revelation about himself. I'm not saying you can't use helps, but subordinate those helps to the pure truth. Take care what you listen to. Not just inspirational speakers, but truth-telling preachers. By your standard, verse 24, of measure, it will be measured to you. That's big helpings. The more you take in, the more you receive. Quality, pure truth, and how much of it? A lot of it. Because the measure and more will be given to you besides. So one helping. No, I'll give you two. This is a buffet of truth. This is an all-you-can-receive from God provision. This sobering, painful possibility, verse 25, for whoever has, that's a relationship to the truth, the light of God's word, to him more shall be given. But this sobering clause at the end, and whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away. Ignore it, Harden your heart to it. Close your ears to the import of it. Stop seeking it. It will debit you in the very means that are necessary for fruit bearing. Matthew's gospel has this, chapter 13, verse 12, for whoever has to him shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Same statement as here. But it adds this Old Testament quote descriptively. He said, the, the people who reject it, I'm going to speak to them in parables. The very things that illuminate the truth for you will hide it from them. You can hear the same message but not receive the same benefit. And then he quotes Isaiah in verse 14 of Matthew 13. And I just wanted to read it to you and highlight, just punctuate, because where we were 
has to do with how you bear the fruit, which is the validating evidence. It's the word of God and the truth of God that you aggressively pursue. Here it is. Isaiah is being fulfilled, says Jesus, with these words at this time. Verse 14, Matthew 13. This is what Isaiah said, and this is what commentates on the realities of people who have the potential for it, but what they have is taken away. You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. So you're around the truth, you're hearing me talk, you're reading the Word of God, you're exposed to it, but you're not getting it. Listen to why. Verse 15, for the heart of this people has become dull. You know what that word is? Callous. Do you know what makes you callous? Hearing it a lot and doing nothing with it. It's one of the great dangers of growing up in a Christian home, in a Christian school. You're exposed to it, and the truth becomes like white noise. You get callous, you get dull. You can hear the most profound realities about life and death, about the things that matter to God, and if you're not careful, you'll get callous to it. You hear calls for repentance, calls to love better, calls to to shepherd your family, calls to love your wife or regard your husband. You hear calls to share the gospel. You hear calls to say, abandon the flesh, abstain from it, put it to death. If you live according to the flesh, Paul said, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you'll live. And you hear that. And you do nothing with that. You know what that'll do to you? Make you callous. It'll make your heart dull. And we have a lot of young people, and I see it, they grow up in Christian settings, and it's just noise. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they can scarcely hear. Let me translate that. They're not really listening. Because there's listening that's not listening. What did he say? You're listening with intention. And watch this. And they have closed their eyes. Do you hear all the will words in there? The reason it gets taken away is because you get callous to it. The reason it gets taken away is because you're not paying attention to it. You don't really really have an intense desire to receive it. And the reason it's taken away is because you're literally closing your eyes to the truth that will illuminate your life. That is a painful possibility to anyone exposed to the unrivaled words and work of the Master. And we're at Grace Church. The reason I'm saying that to you, because our church, you're going to hear the truth. You're going to hear it a lot. You're going to hear it from me. You're going to go to the sanctuary, the worship center, and you're going to hear from one of the best that has ever lived, and you're going to go, yeah, that wasn't his best. (laughs) Or I've heard that before. It's hard not to hear something before from John MacArthur. 52 years, you've got to say something again. (laughs) But I'll tell you what it is. It's through the lens of an 80-some-year-old life experience. Listen. Don't close your eyes. 
because the opportunity will be forfeited. And the loser will not only be you, but it'll be those who would have been affected by you. They don't see fruit. And you could argue, well, Harry, didn't you say that the last time? Sort of, and similar. But we're into now verse 26. So we're going from are you to how do you. And here's an encouraging word. If you're sitting here today feeling, you know what? I'm not getting it done. And if you look at Christianity, there's a cause for concern. I mean, if you look at the culture and Christianity's influence, do you see 30, 60, 100-fold? And if you take an honest look at your own life, you're looking in the mirror and you're taking an honest assessment, you go, man, I'm not seeing it. I think this next paragraph is not meant to be an exhortation, but an encouragement. It's a support because this paragraph says, if the seed's in you, the work of that seed is guaranteed. This is the seed that grows, and this is the God who works. Verse 26, Jesus was saying, the kingdom of God is like this. It's like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. And when the crop permits, or when it's ripe, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. This is a parable meant to encourage. I call this sermon or this lesson a seed that grows, a picture of the God that works. In a vivid picture of reality about natural growth, you see the hope and guarantee, and that's a key word, guarantee of spiritual, supernatural kingdom growth personally and corporately. This is a parable and a picture of the nature and the reality of the work of the word, the seed of the truth, the gospel of God in the world in which you live, in your heart and in the kingdom of God demonstrated among his people. Now, I want to give you a general summary of what this truth is, and then I want to unpack some specific principles for your edification and encouragement. The kingdom of God, verse 26, is like this. In this picture, the man represents any person who shares the seed or receives the seed. Any person who shares it, casting the seed can be the sower who's casting the truth, you're sharing it, the preacher who's preaching it, the truth of God's word, or the person who's receiving it. You're you're putting it into your own soil of your soul. 
you're sowing more seeds of truth. In this picture, the man represents any person who shares the seed or reads God's word and sows it in the soil of a receptive heart. That's the ground, the fertile soil. The supernatural seed of God's word embraced by the soil of a receptive heart. Remember, they welcome it. They hold fast to it. They cling to it like Harry on the roof. You, and then for those of you that are visiting, you'll have to get somebody to tell you what that means, but it means holding on for dear life as if this is only life. Receptive heart, holding fast, saved people, receiving and embracing that truth. They are miraculously and mysteriously yielding the evidence of the fruit of kingdom life through no effort. This is the key statement, through no effort or involvement of a human agent. He goes to bed. Over time, overnight and by day, verse 27, the supernatural life in the seed representing God working through his truth produces a sprout, an ongoing growth, which not only does not involve the work of man, but the man does not even know how that happens. The earth, through a natural process, apart from the man, by itself, That represents God who by a supernatural process, absolutely apart from the man, effects sure and progressive growth until there is produced a mature crop for harvest and blessing. So that's the big general summary that represents the truth of this inspired parable. By the way, it's the only gospel that has this parable. It's unique to Mark. And it's meant to be hope-filled. I think it should provide undeniable realities that give you not just a cause for concern because of the stuff you see in the world, but a case for confidence despite what you see in the world or in the mirror. So what is the first cause for confidence Jesus offers with this parable? Let me give you three things today in the time that we have. Here's the first big one. God, capital G, capital O, capital D, Yahweh. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God, not man, will surely grow his people, though mysteriously. Let me say it again. God, not man, will grow his people surely, though mysteriously. The first key idea from that big point, which is verse 27 and 28a, Our growth is sure, here's the baseline, because it's God's work. Our growth is sure because it's God's work, not our work. The seed of the gospel, the seed of God's truth, watch this, sprouts up and grows while the man is asleep. Now, I like the New American Standard. I use it. It's the translation I'm most familiar with, and I'm transitioning to the better and newer improved Legacy Standard Bible, which does a better job with this verse than mine does. Mine says, and he goes to bed. Now, some of you go to bed and you don't sleep. But this is sleep. He sleeps, which is what the LSB says. 
It's hudo or hoida, which has to do with sleeping, and it has a prefix on the front of it, katahoida. He's zonked. He's not only asleep, he's fast asleep. He's sound asleep. A fire engine isn't going to wake him up asleep. Anybody sleep like that? You sleep through stuff? I'm learning as I age, that's a gift. Right? If you sleep that hard, I was looking on the internet for alarm clocks for people who sleep heavy. There's an alarm clock. It's called the Sonic Bomb Alarm Clock. (laughs) This clock is so loud, it puts out 113 decibels. You want to know what that is? That's a leaf blower. That's a rock concert. That's a chainsaw. It flashes, and it has a, a piece that goes under your pillow to shake your pillow. Anybody have somebody who sleeps like that? There's another website that has one. I forget the name of it, but it jumps off the table and rolls around the room until you get out of bed and fetch it. That's the college student alarm clock, right? The rack monster has you, and you can't get out. You don't want to get out. So why are you saying this? Because that's the, uh, he's in bed. It's not he's in bed. He's sound asleep. He's hearing nothing. He's doing nothing. He has nothing to do with anything. The growth is absolutely apart from him. The growth originates exclusively in the life of God housed in the seed. The sprout and the growth is God's work, not the man's. Therefore, it is sure. It's guaranteed. The seed of God's truth has guaranteed life, and it effects guaranteed growth. Did you hear that? Now, I would encourage somebody. If the work of God in your life begins with him, it's sustained by him. It's guaranteed by him. That's the point of this parable. The sower, whether it's you reading the word sowing it in your own soul, or receiving that truth, you go to sleep. You're sound asleep. You're not doing anything. That's the point of this. This is Philippians 1.6. It is God who works in us, both to will. That This is 2.14, rather, 2.13. It is God who works in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's God who's at work. Philippians 1.6 is being confident of this one thing, that he who began, do you hear it began, the good work, will what? Continue to perform that work until the day of Jesus Christ, when you see him or he returns. Whose work is it? It's God's work. Who begins it? He begins it. Who guarantees it? He guarantees it. Hey, listen, put the word of God in a prominent place. Read it all you can. Listen to it all you can. Apply it. Live it. Meditate on it. But be assured of this, the God who, who produced and promoted and sowed this seed in your life through his miraculous word and through his gospel, he's going to work in your life. It's a promise. Let me read you Hebrews chapter 13. This is a benediction at the end of the book of Hebrews that is a sweet installment on this idea Verse 20, the end of Hebrews. 
The subject, now the God of peace, the reconciling God, produces peace between you and him, potential peace between you and one another. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. So the God who resurrected his son, the God who provided payment, atonement, ransom, for us through Jesus our Lord. Look at what the prayer request is, verse 21. May he equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us, who is? God is, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever equipping you, working in you, the God of peace who did what he did in his son, for his son, through his son. My prayer, the writer of Hebrews is saying, is that God, that capable, caring, powerful God will equip you and work in you because it's his work and he will do that work through Jesus Christ so that he'll receive what is rightly his glory forever and ever. Second point on God, not man, will grow his people surely and mysteriously has to do with mysteriously. God's work of salvation and kingdom growth is mysterious. Notice the humbling declaration regarding man's knowledge of this apart from himself phenomena. Look at verse 28 Back in Mark chapter 4, verse 28, excuse me, verse 27, the seed sprouts and grows, watch this, how, the end of 27 rather, how he himself does not know. Here's a principle to think about. Not only is God's work sure, And causing that growth in you and in others around you, it's mysterious how he does it. I want to remind you, the work of God in salvation, it begins mysteriously. John chapter 1, verse 12, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Verse 13, listen to this, those who receive him. Those who become children of God, verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Salvation begins with the will of God. Then he says in John chapter 3, verse 7, when he's talking to Nicodemus, the Pharisee, do not marvel that I said to you, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now listen to this, Jesus The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You know what that says? You don't know where the wind blows. You don't know where the wind's going. I don't care what kind of meteorologist, wind person you are. You're not going to be able to predict where the wind's going to blow, where it's going to blow from or where it's going to go. And everybody who's born of God is born that mysteriously by the Spirit of God. We just don't know. It's a mystery. How it happens, the means by which it will happen. I had a guy that used to sit in the second row at my church in Birmingham. 
Jerry got saved driving a truck from Huntsville, Alabama to Birmingham because he went by a billboard that says, Jesus saves. Have you ever wondered whether that stuff works? (laughs) Well, Jerry will tell you it worked. The Spirit of God convicted him. He read those words. He pulled over and he gave his life to Christ. Had a professor in seminary who was a tract. He gave out gospel tracts. He wrote them. He was commissioning every one of us to write a tract and to give out tracts. Share the gospel. Care enough to give somebody the truth of the gospel. And Dr. Wimp said, he's going down a highway, sees a guy on the side of the road. This is a city, so he's not driving super fast. He's in the city. There's a guy by the side of the road. God prompts him. He takes a track. He holds it out the side of the window, and he lets it go, and it blows around the back of the car, and the guy picks it up. And that guy came to the meeting that was on the track, the address, later on and said, I'm the guy who you threw the tract out, and I got saved reading that tract. Now listen, I, I, I'm not advocating you throw out tracts. <laughs> you know what I am advocating? Recognizing that God does what God does the way God does it, and you will not understand it. He's going to work in ways you couldn't imagine. It's his work, and it's a mysterious work, and he does it in mysterious ways. Oh, here's a plan. Let's have Joseph thrown in a well. Oh, we can't kill him. Dad loves him. Let's sell him. We're going to sell him to this caravan of merchants. He's going to end up in Egypt. He's going to be the number one guy in Potiphar's house until Potiphar's wife wants him, not Potiphar. He gets falsely accused. He gets thrown into jail. He spends two years there. He gets out of jail, elevated because of the remembrance, the cupbearer who remembered this guy, and Pharaoh had a dream. He ends up second in command. He ends up the most influential man besides Pharaoh in Egypt in order to provide food for a famine and deliverance for, for, for Israel. There's a plan. Anybody work that one out in your thoughts? Or Paul, let's, let's, let's send him to prison in Jerusalem. Let's send him by boat to Rome. Let's shipwreck him. Let's have him been bitten by a viper. Let's put him in Caesar's uh, jail in Rome, shackled to a Praetorian guard for two years. There's a good plan to share the gospel to Caesar's household. Did you have that plan in mind? That's how God works. Mysteriously. Uniquely. Listen, don't get discouraged because of what you don't see, the progress that you feel like is not being made. I'm in a boat. I'm shipwrecked. I'm in jail. I'm in trouble. I'm forgotten. They're not listening to me. Listen, the seed that grows is a parable about the God who works. It's mysterious. You don't know how it starts. You don't know the path that it will take. Some of you are on a totally different path than you could have imagined. Trust the God who does his work in the difficult and unexpected places. 
Thirdly, it ends mysteriously. You know that, like a thief into the night. People die times when you wouldn't expect. Jim Elliott dies early. David Brainerd at 29. They're good people who are on the journey of life, gone like that. Stuff happens. It ends. Listen, Jesus is coming back. It's all going to end fast. That's why he says, be on the alert. Head up, eyes open, thief, like a thief in the night. We can relate to that in Los Angeles, Santa Clarita. There could be thieves. You've got to get ready. It ends that way. Let me just bottom line with this point. So what practical encouragement would I have you take away from this point? It is God's work. It is sure and it's mysterious. Number one, be humble. Your growth foundationally is not your work. I added the word foundationally. Because clearly, it is God who works in us, but it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So it's a cooperation, but it is his work. Be humble, your growth foundationally is not your work. Be hopeful, your growth is God's work. Be humble, you're helpless. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Be hopeful, God is not helpless. Listen to Ecclesiastes 5, 5 and 6. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. You know what Ecclesiastes says? Trust. God, because you don't know. Be humble. You do not understand. Be hopeful because you know that God does. All right, big idea number two. God, not man, will grow his people progressively and his kingdom progressively, but fully. I want you to notice what verse, back in Mark, verse uh, 28 Number one, the soil produces. The tense of that verb is a present tense, but it has the idea that it's a general axiomatic fact that soil is going to produce. So just like the soil will, as a general axiomatic fact, it'll produce crops, watch this, by itself. Do you see by itself? In the Greek language, that's at the front of the verse. It's called the emphatic, the primary emphatic position. It's meant to emphasize something. It's meant to say by itself, only by itself, represented by the soil, that's what produces the fruit. You don't produce the fruit. The soil, God produces the fruit. Man, God, not man, will grow his people progressively and fully by himself. The earth produces crops by itself. It's automate, automatically. It'll do what it does. Listen to Isaiah 61, 11, from the mouth of the prophet. Isaiah, hear the declaration that it is the Lord who does the kingdom work. This Verse 11, Isaiah 61, for as the earth brings forth its sprouts... And as a garden causes the things sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before the nations. Just like the soil works, just like the earth works, just like the garden works, so God causes righteousness and praise to grow up. 
Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. You know this passage. I just want to highlight some of the words. It is God who does the work by himself, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions. What can dead people do? You ever been to a funeral? What do they do? They do nothing because they can't do anything. They are dead. When we were dead in our transgressions, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He's, and God raised us up with him. And God seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in the ages to come, he, God, might show the surpassing riches of what? His grace. There'll never be a celebration about Harry's merit, his effort. The celebration is about God's unmerited favor that took a dead man like me, like you, by his mercy and grace, initiated a salvation you cannot earn or deserve, raised me up in Christ, that's my position, seated me in order to forever bless me and lavish grace on me. This is not a charismatic church, but something charismatic ought to be going on in you because that's what God did for you by himself. For by grace you have been saved through faith And that not of what? Yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast, for we are his workmanship. The new creation is God's work, not Harry's work. And it's not yours. Created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared. Do you hear that? God prepared prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Look, this parable says that by itself, the soil grows the harvest. This says, while the sower is sleeping, sound asleep. Did you see it? Night, day, and then night, night, and then day. It's a cyclical thing. Nothing grows overnight. But night and day, night and day, time goes by, cycles of time go by. What happens? The seed sprouts. Do you see it? Notice what it says in Mark chapter 4. It says, the soil produces crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. Our kingdom growth will be completed progressively. Progressively. The progressive words, first, then, then. You know this. Sanctification is becoming like Christ, bearing fruit to look like him and live like him. Sanctification is I'm set apart by God, for God, to be like God. 
And that product of my justification, salvation, God declares me righteous, and a position in time I'm declared to be righteous, I'm positionally holy, and then I begin a journey out of that reality where I bear fruit progressively. First, then, and then. Your salvation is a worked out, a realization in terms of fruit and quality and kind. It is the product of progress through time. Listen to the progressive words of Philippians 1.9. Paul praying, and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more. You have a certain amount of love now? You have a certain amount of real knowledge and all discernment about how to live a loving life. I want it to grow. I want it to abound still more. Whatever you have, it has more potential, more and more. Colossians 1.9, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask. Paul for the Colossians, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing, do you hear that progressive word increasing wherever you are but growing, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of steadfastness and patience. 1 Thessalonians 3.12, may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all men. Housed in these verses is the expectation that as a Christian, you'll possess these qualities and you'll grow in these qualities. Because the work of God is a progressive work in fruit bearing. I love, but I love more. I'm sacrificial, but I become more of a servant sacrificer. I'm kind, but I become kinder. I live the gospel and the fruit of the gospel, and I grow in the fruit of the gospel. Listen to me over time. Whose work is it? God's work. You put it in the ground. You go to sleep, and God goes to work. And it comes progressively over time. He who began that work will continue to perform it. Did you hear will continue to perform it? If you're glad for that, would you say amen? Amen. You can get bummed out about the guy you see in the mirror. You can get bummed out by the girl you live with or the family you are raising. You can be bummed out about friends and other believers. You know what you should be encouraged by? If God's work is in them, that work will get done. His way, mysteriously, because it's His work, and it's sure because it is. And it's not according to the things that you can understand. He does not even know how. Be excited. God's work will get done. And let me say this final thing in the few minutes I have left. Third big idea, God, not man, will quickly and certainly 
initiate the consummation of his kingdom harvest and his blessing only as all the crop he is growing is fully ready. God, not man, will quickly and certainly consummate the kingdom harvest and the blessing and the judgment that goes with that season as all the crop he is growing is fully ready. Look at verse 28 or verse 29. But when the crop permits, that word means ripens. When the crop is ripe, when the crop is ripe, he immediately puts in the sickle. That's the harvest tool because the harvest has come. Now, what Jesus says about his kingdom is there's going to be a time when corporately the church is ripe. All the saving is is done. All of the ripening, the sprouting, and the growing, and the fruit bearing is finished. And when that time comes, not known to us, known to God, he will send and he will harvest his kingdom and his people, a harvest of blessing. You see this in Revelation chapter 14, when the one like the son of, the son of man, I'll read it to you, Revelation 14, a voice came from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds will follow them. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man, having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Who is the one like the Son of Man? Who's the one who has the crown doing the reaping? Jesus is doing the reaping. And he who sat on the clouds said, Put in your sickle and reap, because the hour to reap has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now, you might say, isn't that a reaping for judgment? Not the first reaping, not the Son of God reaping. That's the reaping for blessing. That's the transfer of his ripened crop of followers who will join him in the blessings of heaven. It is a sickle for blessing. And then, and you know that because verse 17, Revelation 14, and another angel, not one like the Son of Man, came out of the temple which is in heaven. He also had a sharp sickle, different sickle, different agent. And another angel, so a third one, the one who has power over fire, came out from the altar, called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle. So fire angel says to sickle angel, Put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, not grain, but clusters of grapes because her grapes are ripe. And the angel swung his sickle to the earth, gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the wrath, the winepress was trodden outside the city. Blood came out from the winepress up to the horse's bridles for a distance of 200 miles. That's Armageddon. That's the ultimate judgment of God upon those who were ripe for what? Judgment. There is a harvest of blessing and there's a harvest of judgment. There's a harvest of blessing personally 
when God will take you home because you are finished becoming what he has saved you to become, or because of other revelation in Scripture, he's taking you because you're refusing to become what he saved you to become. So he's going to finish it without you and take you to heaven. Because positional sanctification leads to progressive sanctification. That's ultimate sanctification when God glorifies you. When you're finished, God will harvest you. And when they're finished in the ripening of their rebellion, he will harvest them for judgment. When the church is finished, when the last person is saved, when the kingdom is ripe and full, there will be a harvest of blessing for those in the church be taken to enjoy the fullness of the blessing of God. And ultimately, there will be a harvest of judgment for those when the wrath of God and the grapes that produce or provoke that wrath are trampled in his justice and judgment. Verse 29 says, it's all going to ripen, don't worry. And then it's going to be over. And I think the way I'd like to close as an encouragement to you is not as just that God is at work. He's at work mysteriously. The work's going to get done. Be humble about it. Be hopeful about it. But I think you can't help but read verse 29 and go, go you know what? I need to be ready for it. I need to be ready. I need to be prepared. I need to be working. I need to be cooperating. Yes, he's working, but I want to be everything he wants me to be, and I don't want to be short of the potential that is mine in the work that is his. Be encouraged. The seed grows because we have a God that works, and he's working in you. Cooperate with him and rest in his ability to get done what he's begun. Can you say amen to that? Father, thank you for your word and this parable. Thank you for the hope that it brings. And Lord, I pray that for those who feel derailed and defeated, they'll be encouraged and they'll be reminded that the seed that is in them, the truth of the gospel that has saved them, the word of God planted in them, it's going to grow because you are the worker of the growth that you have ordained. Thank you for that hope and help. To the anxious and worried, I would pray, Lord, that they'll be hopeful that the seed that is in them will grow and they can worship the God who works. And for those who are just confused and discouraged, they're just beat down by the failures they see that, Lord, they would put the word of God in a prominent place and they would rest in the God who does the work through his word. They would cooperate with you and they would become everything that you have called them to become. And we pray that they would abound and grow and bear much fruit. Lord, that's our prayer. And thank you for this hope. 
Thank you for the God who works. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.